Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Well, last week, we started studying the Psalms. And I want to, as we get started remind you of several principles that we'll remember every Sunday morning as we teach through these different psalms. This is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature made up of five books in the Old Testament, the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And much of these books are Hebrew poetry. And so, a couple of things we need to remember as we study Hebrew poetry. First is, it's a lot of figurative language involved. And so, we don't need to take the figurative language literally. And what I mean by that, this, the book of Psalms contains a lot of hyperbole. We might say exaggeration. Similes and metaphors and parallelism. Last week, we studied Psalm 1. Verse 4 says, The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's a simile. The poet there, the author, is painting a picture for us. Picture in our minds. Instead of rhyming words like much of our modern day poetry does, the Hebrew poets, they would rhyme ideas. That's why we call it parallelism. Parallelism is two or more lines that correspond closely with one another in order to make a point. And sometimes the two lines say the same thing. Look at Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The same thing is being said, the nations raging and the people's plotting just said in a different way. That's synonymous parallelism. You also have, sometimes when the lines together say the opposite things. They have the opposite meaning. That's antithetical parallelism in Psalm 1 verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And remember from last week, the word know means to, to, to carry, to take care of. Knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. They're, they're saying the opposite things to make a point. And sometimes the second line develops the thought of the first without quoting the word from the first line. An example of that, Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down is the first line. And the second line, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. It develops the thought without repeating the words from the first. So there's different types of parallelism. There's not going to be a quiz on that, but we are going to point these things out as we move through the Psalms. So the first principle, hermeneutical principle, as we study the Psalms, don't take the figurative language literally, but what we need to do is put it in our own words. So Psalm 1, verse 4, the wicked like chaff, what does that mean? How would you put that in your own words? Somebody help me. How would you put that in your own words? Anybody? 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. He's comparing that to a tree that's planted by streams of water that produce fruit, right? He says they're, the wicked are like chaff. Well, how I maybe would summarize that, those who are wicked are useless. They won't last. They are to be discarded. They will be judged. So that's how I would put that in my words. So that's just a, a, a principle. And the next thing that I want us to remember is as we study the Psalms, we need to determine the original meaning of the psalm. What did the psalm mean in the original context? We need to do that before we try to apply it to our lives. Sometimes we read the psalms and we jump right into application and we don't understand exactly the context of the psalm. So that's some hermeneutical principles. We'll read view those every week and just try to help us get a better handle on how to study the Psalms for ourselves. Psalm 2 is where we are today. There's no title in this Psalm, just like Psalm 1 had no title. But Acts chapter 4, verse 26, attributes to King David. It was written during a time where Israel was at its peak. Israel was had a lot of influence in the world, in, in the area around Palestine. And this king... King David was a mighty king, but he's also he was a successful military leader. He didn't lose much on the battlefield. He was anointed by God to lead the nation and lead them he did. It's a royal psalm, sometimes they're called. We have different categories of psalms, and we would say it's a royal psalm. It's celebrating the enthronement of Israel's king. And King David describes a rebellious nation or nations who they have disdain for God and disdain for his anointed king. And so God responds in this psalm by reminding them with words that he will be sovereign. He will rule even over people who reject him. And he will rule over the earth through his chosen king. In this instance, King David. And the psalm ends with an invitation to surrender voluntarily to God's supremacy. God's going to reign supreme whether you submit to him or not. Whether the kings, the Gentile kings, submitted to him or not, God is going to rule, and his king, the anointed king, is going to rule in his place, governing the world. Well, you'll see this psalm. It's in four different, we call it stanzas or strophes, four parts, if you will. The first thing we need to see this morning is the voice of revolt, the voice of rebellion in verses 1 through 3. Blessed, I'm sorry, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the nations did not want to continue to submit to the rule of God's representative. They didn't want to submit to David. They, didn't want to be, they wanted to be free from the restraints that bound their freedom. The taxes, the limitations on them that David and his successors had imposed on them. So they want freedom. Now people naturally, we resist rulers. Um, think about your own life, even your own workplace maybe, or maybe in your home, those that the Lord has put in authority over you. Sometimes it just kind of bothers you a little bit, right? When somebody comes and tells you to do something, if they don't tell you exactly right, or they don't ask you in the right tone, you think they should ask, what happens? 
we kind of bow up a little bit, don't we? We can kind of understand these nations. Yeah, we, we don't like to be told what to do. The nations, they wanted the, the king and the nation of Israel to fail. Times haven't changed, have they? The same today, right? But rebellion against God's king is equal to rebellion against God. And think about in, in over redemptive history how that's gone. Rebellion against the Lord. It's been going on since creation. Think about in the garden, Brady. You had the serpent deceiving Eve. He's called the adversary, right? He's opposing the Lord and all that the Lord stands for. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they opposed the word of the Lord through Moses, right? Before the Lord delivered the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh. There were even some from the nation of Israel, they left Egypt, who opposed God's chosen leaders. If you want to read this story, it's a fascinating story. In Numbers chapter 16, Korah and Dathan and Abiram, they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. They didn't like Moses and Aaron telling them what to do, even though they were God's chosen instruments, God's chosen leaders. And so what happens? The earth is opened up and swallows them and their family whole. And the 250 men who had sided with Korah and Dathan and Abiram, they were consumed by fire. The Israelites entered the promised land. Jericho opposed Israel and its walls on the seventh day came tumbling down. In Joshua chapter 10, five Amorite kings came. They made war against the Gibeonites who the Israelites had had given word to take care of. And so Joshua in the battle cried out to the Lord and the sun stood still while the Israelites annihilated those five kingdoms. It goes on and on and on and on. There's been this rebellion against the Lord and his anointed from day one. Notice it says the rebellion is in vain. It's like when you're Husbands, it's like when your wife yells for you, and they say, hey, come in here. Come in here, and they scream, you know, like something, you know, a lion's after them, you know, and you come in there, and it's a, it's a bug, right? Sometimes they do that. Seth and I, the girls will call us in there. They'll come, come in here and kill this bug. It's about to eat me alive with its ferocious, venomous fangs, right? But it's like that when you have that little ant, right, that gets around this time of year, gets around your sink. You have these little ants that like to run around the sink. And what does that ant, what can that ant do? What can it do? Can it prevent you from doing what you intend to do? And the answer is no. You just do with it what you want to, what you will. The rebellion against the Lord and his anointed is in vain. These nations, they want so desperately to be out from under the authority of the Davidic king and from under God's authority. They want freedom from having to obey we see that in the Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. They want out from under that rule, that reign. There was a rebellion against authority during David's reign. The attitude of the day was, no one was free unless no one tells me what to do. And then the second part, verse 4 through 6, we see the voice of the Father. What does God say? The omnipotent creator, the heavenly father, responds to this rebellion against his authority. He laughs. This is a laugh of derision, he says. 
And it's not the laugh. I think about when these laugh of derision. I, for some reason, I was thinking about the, the Batman cartoon and the Joker. When he thinks that he's on the winning side and it, victory is his, victory is imminent, the, the Joker, make, the, he laughs, right? And how does he laugh? You know, he says, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't see God laughing like that. And the reason I say that, because God doesn't delight in the destruction of the wicked, Ezekiel 33 tells us, right? But the laughter shows how ridiculous it is to rebel against him and his anointed. How ridiculous is it for you to bow up at the one who spoke the world into existence, who swallowed up Korah and Dathan and Abiram and their families by opening up the ground and swallowing them whole? Yeah. Are you kidding me, he says. Are you serious? Are you really going to bow up against me? And we've seen it time and time again. Nebuchadnezzar, he rebelled against the Lord. You remember what happened to him? He looked out over his kingdom and he, he said, look, look at what I have made. Look at what I have accomplished and all for my glory. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Do you remember, kids? Yeah, he turned into a, an animal. He went insane. And for seven years, he grazed like, a, like, a, like cattle. We'll turn there real quickly. Turn Daniel real quickly. The book of Daniel. Go right. Go right from the Psalms. Go right. Go right. Okay? We're doing Bible drill this morning in our, with our students. We have 6th six, six through 12th grade this morning. We did Bible drill. The, the boys smoke the girls. So if you have a student 6th through 12th grade and she's a girl, you need to do Bible drill this morning. I think it was like 12 to 1 Bible drill this morning. So girls, we need to practice our books of the Bible and practice getting there. Daniel chapter 4, it's page 881 in your Black Pew Bible. We'll turn there real quickly. Daniel chapter 4. So Nebuchadnezzar's went insane. He's, he's grazing, eating grass like, a, like cattle. This went on for quite some time. Daniel chapter 4, 34. Let's read that, uh, page 881 in your pew Bible. At the end of the, the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Remember, why is he in this state? It's because he says, look what I've done. and It's all for my glory, right? He, he opposed his creator. He's putting himself in, in the position of God. He says in verse 34, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, speaking of God, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? The voice of the Father is, are you kidding me? Who are you to oppose me? You've got to be kidding. Notice it says, as for me, I, will, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And Zion, at, at this point in time, there's a small section of Jerusalem called Zion. And later, it's going to become a great... 
referred to a, a larger section. And then in later days, it's going to be just referred to as Jerusalem, likened to Jerusalem. God has established his king and his representative on earth. That's how he's going to govern and rule and reign is through this king. Now look at verse 7 through 9, the voice of the son. Verse 6, 6 tells us that God has this predetermined plan to deal with man's rebellion. And this plan centers on the person and the power of God's anointed one, his king. Remember when you were, when you were, became king? Do you remember when David... He was anointed by Samuel to be king. And then Solomon after him was anointed as king. Then Rehoboam after him was anointed as king. He's their God's Messiah. But Messiah means anointed one. They're God's Messiah. They're God's anointed one. Look at verse 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is David speaking, You are my son. Today I have, I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the Lord speaking to his son, the Messiah, the king. And it seems to reflect the promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7 when God gave the Davidic covenant, the, the promise when David became king. God gave him a promise, and that promise was you're going to be king, and your kingdom is going to be established forever. Your family line is going to be established forever. You're going to be a king forever, and you're going to rule and reign. You're going to be my representative on earth, my vice regent, my representative, my king. Spurgeon says, now we have the, the anointed declaring the rights of sovereignty and warning the traitors of their doom. The king is ruling and leading and ruling the nations. And I think about that, all the nations. I think about how the Abrahamic covenant was talking about this morning in our small group. God promised Abraham. He chose this one man, Abraham, and from him he's going to Bring about this one nation, Israel. And he says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And here we have David, the Davidic covenant. He says he's going to rule the nations. And his kingdom is going to last forever and forever and forever. God is going to rule the world through his representative, his son, the king. And then look at the last stanza there, verse 10 through 12. The voice of reason. God laughs, he speaks, and he, 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 he installs his king. And this king will act. The Davidic king was God's leader for his kingdom in the Old Testament. And there was safety in yielding to the king and yielding to God. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The nations were told not to rebel against God, against his anointed king, but they should serve him by kissing the son. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. That's interesting, isn't it? This means pay homage, submit to. Elijah, when he was hiding in the cave, you remember he was running from Jezebel and he was afraid. 
He says, I'm, I'm the only one left. And God comforts him. And he's in 1 Kings 19, 18, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 Israel and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him, submitted to him, yielded to him, began to follow him, right? God is going to rule the nations through his son, his representative, and all who yield to him will be safe, will be secure. That's what it meant in context. We talked about we need to understand what did the original people hearing this, what did they understand? What did the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this being David, what did he mean here? And that's, that's the context. But even though David, the Davidic king, who ruled Israel a thousand years before Jesus, right, Speaking of him, but ultimately, we know this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Anointed One. The New Testament writers understood this as well. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Go right again. Keep going right. New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts. Page 1083. In your pew Bible, I'm sorry, 1084 in your pew Bible. So that's the context, speaking of this Davidic king who was put in charge of the nation. If you submit to him and yield to him, things will go better for you because you'll be submitting to the Lord. Let's look at Acts 4, verse 23. Peter and John had been imprisoned, and verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. They were, they were against the king, weren't they? King Jesus, right? Along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So we see that, yeah, this psalm is talking about David, the king, the anointed Messiah of the Old Testament, right? Ruling the nation of Israel. But it took someone far greater than David and even Solomon to fulfill this promise. This is Jesus, the one greater than David, greater than Solomon. But of the line of David, he fulfilled this this promise. So now we're 3,000 years since this psalm has been penned. So let's look and try to figure out how we can apply this to our lives and... 2018. And it's not just in David's day that people rebelled against the Lord, right? I mean, that's not a new concept for us. All mankind has rebelled against the Lord and his anointed one, right? We've all said, as verse 3 says, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I mean, we, we do that, don't we? We don't like being told what to do. Mankind, we, we say in order to be free, we, we must not have anyone telling us what to do. That's freedom. Restrictions on morality that God would dictate when you can 
divorce, when you can leave your spouse, that God would dictate one's sex life. This annoys our culture. It annoys us sometimes, doesn't it? We shake our fist at God, right? John chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus, chapter 10, 11. I mean, chapter 1, verse 10, 11. He says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Right? But, it, but those who, just as in David's day, those who rebel against the Lord and his anointed will be, verse 9 says, will be crushed. Be, be crushed. Speaking to this Messiah, you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There's rebellion against the Lord, but yet there's this judgment as well, isn't it? You'll all be broken like pottery before its maker. Think about Jesus. He came to earth, right? This Messiah, he took on flesh, left the thrones of heaven, came to earth he took on flesh and he completely obeyed the law that we couldn't obey he died for sinners not because he was guilty but because he was willing to obey the father he was buried on the third day he conquered sin and death so we say often he came to save to save sinners he revealed himself to his followers and then he ascended into heaven but he says, one day I'll return, and when he returns, he'll return to, to judge. So he, he comes to save, but he, then he comes to judge. And we see this in the Revelation chapter 19. Let me read this for you. John, his vision toward the end of Revelation, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This familiar passage for us. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of what? Iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He, he came firstly to save, and the second time he comes, which he's coming, we're waiting on that return, right? He will come to, to judge. And at that time, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to rule and reign, and all the people will submit to him. And familiar passage again, Philippians chapter 2. Some of you have this memorized. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under heaven, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Of those that yield and live eternally with Christ, it's interesting, there's going to be representatives from where? From every nation, Revelation chapter 7, from people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, they'll be represented, those who follow the Lord, those who rep, they'll be represented in heaven, right? People from every people group, every nation, every tongue will be there, submitted to the Lord, giving glory and praise to Him. 
they had repented and trusted this Messiah, this anointed one. But there's so many that will be crushed, that will be judged. I've heard, I've heard it said, we can come to the Lord and voluntarily, or when he comes back, we'll be voluntold, right? We do, right? Yeah. Spurgeon, he, again, he says, to a graceless neck, the yoke of Christ is intolerable. We don't like being told what to do. Leave me alone. Let me live my life, right? But to the saved sinner, it is easy and light. We may judge ourselves by this. Do we love that yoke or do we wish to cast it from us? We, we have this in our day and time, this rebellion against authority. We don't like the authority. But we yield to the authority or we're crushed, judged. We submit to them voluntarily or we'll be judged Application, what do we do with this specifically? And um, it, When we do expository preaching and we preach through books of the Bible and we teach the Bible, truth, teach the truth in context, and we, we say a lot of times that preaching informs the mind, right? It stirs the heart and it transforms our lives. It transformed our actions. And so... We're going to do something here. Uh, talk with Adam. We talked this week and are texting back and forth. And we're going to try something and do something different as far as application goes here with the Psalms every week. We're going to answer these three questions. And the first question is How does this Psalm inform our minds? You know, what effect does it have on how we think about ourselves and think about God? So let's think about this Psalm by way of application. How does this psalm inform our minds? Well, it tells us God sovereignly rules the world and his representative, the Davidic king, right? Of course, being Jesus, we are to yield to. To rebel against him and it means judgment, right? So we, we have to know that, right? And the Davidic kings, of course, they partially fulfilled that, but we know that Scripture tells us Jesus ultimately fulfilled this this role as the Messiah. He is the Messiah, the ultimate Messiah, the Son of God. And he should be kissed. He should be served. He should be yielded to. He should be followed. And those who reject his rule will suffer wrath and perish. I was thinking about that this week as I, um, I contemplated this guy that was on. He rode my bus when I was little. He was like three years older than us. And he was kind of a, he wasn't a big kid. He was just a mean kid. And he just kind of bullied him. He didn't ever, he never messed with anybody's own, own size. That's what punks do, you know. They just don't do that. But he, I was always real small anyway. And he just, he just made life miserable for me. Picked on me, just called me names, just, you know, hit on me. And um, one day I, I had enough. He was picking on me. I was in the bathroom. You know, he had been retained two or three years, you know. So he was in the, the grade above me. But like I said, he was like three years older than me. He's just a big kid, you know, and I'm little wormy, small kid. And he had a tie on. He had this black little tie. That was back when, uh, back in the day, and you had these real thin ties, you know. He had this tie on. I don't know why he had a tie on. But he had a tie on. He was in the bathroom, and he was just giving me grief. And I remember I just grabbed his tie, and I just run it up like that. 
And I yelled at him as loud as I could, leave me alone, right? Of course, he just, he just nails me, you know, and I just hit the floor. And I think he might have kicked me or something. I don't know. Uh, but he was just always mean to me and just a bully and punk. That was bully, you know. They said bully. Everybody's bully now. But then it was like, he really was. He was like this punk. And, you know, I saw him recently at a funeral. No, he didn't have a tie. He didn't have a tie. I think he had a, yeah, and now he didn't have a tie. Um, but I remember seeing him, Larry Keith, and I'm, you know what I thought when I first saw him? And I'm the preacher. I'm doing the funeral, right? It's a relative of his, and I hadn't seen him in 20, 25 years. And I saw him. You know what I thought? He's just, just I mean, you know, he's three, four years older than me. Man, he looks like he's, you know, he looks like he's 20 years older than me. You know, he's been, just lived a hard life, you could tell. Weston, you know, I thought when I first saw him, and I'm the preacher, I'm, I'm arriving there to preach the word of God, share the gospel with the sinner kind of thing. And I thought when I saw him, he was, he was sitting outside smoking a cigarette outside. And I saw him, and I, I thought back to those days, and I thought, you know what? I could easily stomp a mud hole in him today and get him back for all that time he was just messing with me, you know. But as I was studying this passage, you know, those who are just rebel against the Lord, rebel against the Lord, rebel against the Lord. But what happens? In the end, man, there's no resistance. Just like I said, man, this guy, he couldn't resist me today. I could resist him. Man, there's no resistance, you know. God's just this sovereign ruler of the world who's right in everything. He's just going to crush the sinner. Those who reject him, he's just going to judge them. And for all eternity, the lost will be su- just suffer under the wrath of the Father. So, it informs the mind, doesn't it, as we study the Bible, and it informs our mind. So, we all have rebelled against the Lord. We've tried to live outside His authority, and we deserve His wrath. We deserve all the, that we, the, the wrath and judgment of God. So how does the psalm stir the heart? Well, many of us, we've seen the effects of trying to live independently from God. We've seen the air of our ways, right? We've yielded to the sun, many of us in this room. But there, maybe there's some here who's been trying to live lives in rebellion against the Lord. And you recognize today, even as we talk about these things and, and look to these passage, that the King of Kings has been providentially crushing everything in life for you. Nothing is going right. Your plans keep getting dashed to pieces. You're at your wit's end. Well, Jesus, as I said earlier, came to earth. He obeyed for us. The wrath of God that we deserved was poured out on him. Sinners have been declared guilty. The sentence has been passed. And the punishment has been carried out. Jesus, the Son, has taken the punishment. He is for that, for sinners. That he was died, and the Scripture says he was raised for our justification. If you yield to him, you will be blessed. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So for the non-believer, if you yield to him today, you'll be blessed. 
And for us believers, we rejoice, right, with trembling. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We rejoice, don't we, with trembling because we fear the Lord because he's mighty and awesome. But we rejoice because our sin debt's been paid. And even though we don't deserve to be in relationship with him, to have a relationship with him, to be able to communicate with him, we don't deserve eternal life, forgiveness. We don't deserve the blood of Jesus that washed us white as snow. We don't deserve that, but yet we rejoice because of Jesus' work on the cross for us. And we've trusted in that. And we stand forgiven. We can sing that song, our sins are many, but his mercy is more, and we can mean it because of what Christ done for us. It stirs, stirs the heart. Hopefully it's stirring your heart today. But lastly, how can this psalm rightly applied transform our actions and habits? Well, for you, if you're not a believer, yield to him and be blessed. B.T. Forsyth, he says, the purpose of life is not to find your freedom. The purpose of life is to find your master. So I'll encourage you, find your master today. Yield to the Lord. Repent. Turn from trying to fix your own life, live your own life. Submit to the Lord. Acknowledge your sin and rebellion. Cry out to the Lord for forgiveness. Trust Jesus' work on the cross as your own. And be forgiven today. There isn't a refuge away from God. There's only a refuge in him because he's a judge who judges rightly and will pour out his wrath upon sinners. For believers, how can we apply this to our lives? Well, the nations will be his. All people right, will bow in submission. As I said, they'll either volunteer or be voluntold. But our job in the church is to share with those who need to hear the gospel. And the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all, what? Nations, all peoples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Believer. Church. Thousands of people died yesterday. Thousands upon thousands died, lost. Most of them have never heard the gospel. Most of them never heard the gospel yesterday. And they're in a Christless eternity for all eternity now, from now until forever, receiving the wrath of God. So for us, we need to be looking for opportunities to share the good news. Because he is a loving, merciful Merciful, gracious God, but he's also just. No sin goes unpunished. Praise the Lord, Jesus, for many of us, took our sin debt and he paid it in full. But for many, they're at enmity with God in this world, but also in this building, most likely this morning. We're going to pray and we're going to be done. But if you yet to repent and trust the Lord, I encourage you to do so. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information and we'll see you next time.